Matthew 5, verse 1 to verse 12. This is what Holy Scripture says. Seeing the crowds, he went up on a mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Once more, we're aware that it is very warm, so if you need to chase some shade and move around, you won't offend me in the least. Please feel free. And um, yeah, stay as cool as you can. You can take out your Bibles and turn to Matthew uh, chapter 5, which Ricky read for us already. And as you take that out, I wonder if you've ever had the opportunity to stand before a quiet mountain lake high up in the Rockies, or up in the Andes, or up in the Alps. And if you've ever had that experience, you might have noticed that a mountain lake can be much like a mirror. It can be like a mirror that perfectly reflects the entire scene that's laid out before you there. So as you, as you look down toward the water and gaze at the reflection, you look at it and you see a perfect image of what's before you, a perfect likeness. You can see the the mountain peaks that rise above the lake reflected there in the water. You can see the trees that line the shore. You can even see the rocks and stones that are around it. It's a perfect likeness except for this. It's mirrored. It's mirrored so that in the reflection, what is highest in the world is lowest in the lake. And what's lowest in the world is highest in the lake. So as you look at it, you'll see the trees that are around the shoreline. They look like they've gone deep, deep beneath the water. And the mountain peaks are deepest of all. And in that way, a mountain lake could almost be a parable for the kingdom that Jesus so often talked about, the kingdom he called the kingdom of heaven. We learn from Scripture that Jesus is the founder and he's the ruler of an upside-down kingdom, a kingdom where the last are first and the first are last where the strong are the weak and the weak are the strong, where servants tower over kings and rulers kneel to wash the feet of beggars. So today I'm beginning a series of sermons over the next few weeks that will focus on what it means to be citizens of the kingdom of heaven. And our focus will be Matthew chapter 5, the first few verses, the portion we call the Beatitudes. That means the series will be framed around eight beatitudes, eight qualities that mark citizens of the kingdom of heaven. 
And we'll see that Jesus has, he's founded, he's inaugurated a topsy-turvy kingdom that's different, different from any kingdom ever devised by the mind of man. It's a reflected kingdom, turns everything on its head, turns on its head everything we ever thought we knew about strength and weakness, about success and failure, about greatness and obscurity. Let me ask you a question. If you had to concisely summarize the teachings of Jesus, how would you do so? If you had to take about three and a half years of sermons and illustrations and parables and miracles and summarize it all in a single sentence, what sentence would you suggest? What was the ministry of Jesus all about? Jesus' biographers, thankfully, had to address this themselves. Here's how Matthew summarizes the entire ministry of Jesus. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That's a summary of all that Jesus said and did. How about Mark? Here's Mark's summary. The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. How about Luke? Luke says, Jesus went through cities and villages proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. All three of them, as they summarize Jesus's ministry, all three of them speak of the kingdom, either the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. Jesus used both of those interchangeably. So clearly then, clearly the gospel writers believe this notion of kingdom was fundamental to understanding the ministry of Jesus. Now look at Matthew 4 verse 23. It comes immediately before the text we'll be focusing on through this series. And he, that's Jesus, went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. And so it's in the context of Jesus proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, we now come to Matthew 5 and verse 1. Here's what we read. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and taught them. He opened his mouth and he taught them what we call the Sermon on the Mount. I expect you've heard of the Sermon on the Mount. It's this long sermon that extends for several chapters of Matthew, and it's all about living as citizens of the kingdom of heaven. But in this series, we'll be focusing just on that first little part we call the Beatitudes. It's a strange word. We don't use it anywhere else. Uh, It's just drawn from the Latin word for blessed or blessed. So these are the eight blessed, eight blesseds. So in the coming weeks, we'll look at each one of them, but for today, we'll just read the first and the last of them, since both of them give us this phrase, the kingdom of heaven. So verse 2, Matthew 5, verse 2, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And then verse 10, the last beatitude, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Today, we're going to see that Jesus invites you, each one of us, he invites us to receive God's ultimate blessing, and become a citizen of his upside-down kingdom. Back in the 1950s, humanity entered into a great age of space exploration. I'm sure you've heard of it. The United States and the Soviet Union were battling to be the first into space and the first to the moon. And if you've been keeping an eye on the news, it seems to me that uh, we're now entering into a second great age of space exploration, and this time it's a battle between billionaires to see who can be the first into space and the first to to create something permanent, some kind of permanent outpost in space. You don't need to, we we don't need to push our minds too hard to imagine a scenario in which one of these billionaires announces that he's establishing a new nation or a new kingdom out there in space. We can call it the kingdom of space. 
And so we might imagine one of them making an announcement and saying something like, you can see it, this world is falling apart, the earth is collapsing under the weight of war and epidemic and pollution, so we are going to start over. We're putting out the call now. We're putting out the call for you to join us in creating Humanity 2.0. Those who consider that invitation, they think this might be good to be part of, they'd ask questions like, well, what is this nation you're founding? What are the values of this nation? And what benefits come to the citizens of this nation? And who's invited to be part of it anyways? And maybe the most important question of all is, what would it take for me to become a citizen of this new kingdom that you're founding? And you might expect the billionaire who's founding that kingdom to, to say something like this, the kingdom of space will be better and greater than any nation or any civilization that humanity has ever seen. And because we're going to recreate humanity, we need to be sure we get off to a strong start. So we are, we're going to have an application process to make sure we're inviting only the best of the best. We're interested only in the sharpest minds, only the most impressive personalities, only the most beautiful bodies, only the most accomplished individuals. We need the wise and the wealthy and the winsome and the well-to-do so together we can fulfill our potential, together we can become all humanity could possibly be. When Jesus inaugurated his kingdom... He also told what the kingdom was all about. He also told about its values. He also told about what benefits would come to its citizens. He also told what kind of citizens he was seeking. Most important of all, he told people how they could be part of it. He tells us how we can be part of it. And his kingdom, the kingdom of heaven, it's like that lake high up in the mountains where everything is inverted, where everything we thought we knew is reversed. So you have, I think, a sermon outline in front of you that's got the five questions and answers that we'll be using to frame the rest of our time here today. The first question is, what is the kingdom of heaven? And to answer that, we need to know that the Bible says there are ultimately two kingdoms to which men may belong. There's the kingdom of this world, and there's the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven is not a place. Very important to understand. The kingdom of heaven is not a place. It's a rule or a reign that has been established by Jesus Christ. So God does not call the citizens of his kingdom to leave this world. The citizens of the kingdom of heaven continue to live here among the citizens of the kingdom of this world, but they have a new citizenship. They have a new loyalty to a new king. They're no longer ultimately loyal to any nation of earth or any king of earth. Not ultimately. Their ultimate loyalty is to the kingdom of heaven and to King Jesus. Now, there's a couple of key differences between these two kingdoms. The first is in their beginning and their end. The kingdom of this world began at creation, and it will end the moment that Christ returns. The kingdom of heaven, it began when Christ was on earth, and it will end never. It will never end. So the clock is ticking. The clock is ticking for the kingdom of this world and for its citizens. You think about it. If the kingdom of this world is going to come to an end, and it will, its citizens will have to come to an end because they'll have no more kingdom. They'll be citizens in a kingdom that will no longer exist. But because the kingdom of heaven will carry on forever, so will its citizens, for they have citizenship in a kingdom that will have no end. 
So that's one difference between the two kingdoms. The second is in how you become a citizen. I'm sure you know that if you're born in Canada, you're basically automatically a citizen of Canada. And if you're born in this world, you're automatically a citizen of the kingdom of this world. Simple enough. But while you're automatically a citizen of the kingdom of this world, you must become a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. It's a familiar paradigm. Many of you began your lives as citizens of other nations, perhaps India or Romania or Ghana. Then you had to become citizens of the nation of Canada. We're familiar with that. In the same way, each of us must become a citizen of the kingdom of heaven, which is something we'll talk about shortly. But first, our second question, what are the values of the kingdom of heaven? You know the values or some of the values of Canada. Citizens of Canada were expected to live out Canadian values, to be polite, to be tolerant in the best sense of that word, to to adhere to the rule of law, and so on. When you become a citizen of the kingdom of heaven, you're expected to live out the values of that kingdom. And the values of the kingdom of heaven, this is exactly what the Beatitudes are all about. It's exactly what they describe. So, Citizens of the kingdom of heaven, they value humility or poverty of spirit. They value mourning over sin and sinfulness. They value meekness before others. They value holiness and righteousness. They value mercy. They value purity of heart. They value peace with God and man. They even value suffering if that's the will of their king for them. And so the Beatitudes that we're looking at, they describe the values and therefore the expected attitudes and actions of citizens of the kingdom of heaven. Third question, what benefits come to citizens of the kingdom of heaven? What benefits are there? Look again to our text and you'll see that each one of the Beatitudes ends with a promise. So verse 4, they shall be comforted. Verse 5, they shall inherit the earth. And so it goes. They shall be satisfied. They shall receive mercy. They shall see God. They shall be called sons of God. So if the Beatitudes describe the values of the kingdom of heaven, they also describe the benefits of citizenship in the kingdom of heaven. And so the citizens of the kingdom of of heaven experience the blessings of the king of heaven. They're blessed by receiving his acclaim. They're blessed by receiving his comfort. They're blessed by experiencing his mercy. They're blessed by receiving his abundance so that they lack no good thing whatsoever. They're even welcomed into his family. They even see his face. They even inherit his earth to reign alongside him forever. Each of these blessings has a present component, and each of them has a future component. And so citizens of the kingdom of heaven receive the blessings in seed form right here and right now and will receive them in full form in the future. And so citizens anticipate a day when Christ will return, when heaven and earth will be joined together, when the kingdom that Christ has inaugurated will be fully culminated. The kingdom of this world will be swept away before the kingdom of heaven And the citizens of the kingdom of heaven will live on forever in perfect bliss with their God, with their king. That's the ultimate sweet promise of citizenship in this kingdom. Brings us to our fourth question. Who then is invited to be a citizen of the kingdom of heaven? 
What kind of people is Jesus seeking? Who does his call go out to? Once again, the Beatitudes are the key to understanding. They don't just describe the values of the kingdom and the blessings of being a citizen. They also describe the entrance requirements. And so the King of Heaven extends his invitation to those who are poor in spirit. He puts out his call to those who mourn over their sin, who mourn over their brokenness. His call goes out to those who are meek, humble before others. His call goes out to those who hunger and thirst to be holy. And so it goes. These are the ones, these are the people that Jesus invites to be citizens of his kingdom. Do you see the contrast with the kind of kingdoms we would so naturally create if it was left up to us? Think you know that if you and I were asked to found a new kingdom in our name, we got to rule over it, it would be called by our name, it would inevitably end up like that fictional kingdom of space we talked about. We would say something like, come to me, all who are mighty and self-sufficient. Bring in the rich and beautiful, the impressive and, and the accomplished. Go out to, to Oxford and Wall Street and Hollywood and invite them all to come in to this kingdom. But Jesus' kingdom, as you remember, is upside down. It's a kingdom where the call goes out to the low instead of to the high. Its king says, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden. And he says, bring in the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame. But even that's not enough. He says, go into the halfway houses and the drop-in centers and the group homes. Bring them all in. Bring them into my kingdom. See, if the, if the human instinct is to build a kingdom upon those who are strong and mighty, those who are impressive and successful, God's instinct is to build a kingdom upon those who are weak and lowly, those who are meek and merciful. If our instinct is to look at the accomplishments of the outer man and to judge people that way, God's instinct is to value the character of the inner man. Again, it's completely upside down. And then when we get invited into this kingdom, this kingdom of heaven, we're invited to join together with our fellow citizens in what we know as churches. We are Grace Fellowship Church. Each local church is a community of heaven citizens on earth. And so each local church is like a little outpost, a little embassy of the kingdom of heaven. It's a place where heaven citizens join together to worship heaven's king and to live out heavenly lives, lives that reflect the values of that kingdom. A few years ago, a church was, was in the news for what I think was basically the absolute worst of reasons I could imagine. This church had asked people who, uh, who were visibly disabled not to sit near the front of the church. They specifically asked them not to sit where their non-typical features would be visible to others and especially to the cameras. See, this church was concerned. It was concerned that people who, um, unbelievers, people who don't believe in Jesus, they wouldn't want to be associated with people like that, people who are disfigured or people who are disabled. You know, I, I can hardly think of a way that people who profess to be citizens of the kingdom of heaven could act more like people who are citizens of the kingdom of this world. Because God is building his kingdom around the people we count as weakest and lowliest. 
God is completely unembarrassed by them. He's completely unabashed to call them his own. He's he's absolutely unashamed to welcome them into his kingdom and to building his kingdom upon them. So if you ever look around a church, I mean a church like this one even, and you see a lot of people in this church who are not particularly impressive in the eyes of the world, people who are not moving about in high society, people who are not known and adored by the general public, probably means you're in exactly the right place. This is exactly what God told us we should expect because he's building his kingdom upon the little and the lowly, upon people like you and me. No offense. His kingdom is upside down. It's upside down, but that very upside downness introduces a big question and exposes a big problem. So our fifth and final question is this. How can we become citizens of the kingdom of heaven? In a sense, we've already answered it. We must be what the Beatitudes describe. But that answer exposes the problem. It doesn't take a lot of introspection. We had a time of confession of sin earlier on. For this very reason, it doesn't take a lot of introspection to admit we're not like that. We're not what the Beatitudes describe. We are not naturally humble before God. We're very good at mourning the consequences of our sin when things go wrong, but we're certainly not prone to mourn our very sinfulness, our sinful natures. We don't show meekness by constantly putting others ahead of ourselves. We don't have this deep longing from our child to just to do all the things that God commands us to do. We don't always extend mercy to others. We aren't naturally pure in heart. So could there be any hope for people like us, people who are not what the Beatitudes describe? Well, as it happens, Jesus had a fourth biographer. I've told you about three of them fourth biographer whose name was John. And he tells of a time when a man came to Jesus and he was really wondering this very thing. How can I enter the kingdom of heaven? Here's what Jesus told him. Jesus said, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. You need to be born again. So we said before, if the surefire way to become a citizen of the nation of Canada is to be born here, The way to become a citizen of the kingdom of heaven is to be born again. How does that happen? You remember those summaries we read from Matthew and Mark. Matthew said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And Mark said, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. The way to become a citizen of the kingdom of heaven is to be born again, as we heard from John. The way to be born again is to repent and to believe in the gospel. To repent is just to make the conscious decision to change your entire direction, your entire way of thinking, your entire way of living. That's to repent. And to believe is simply to trust. So to repent and believe is most essentially to stop trusting in yourself and to instead trust in God. To repent and believe is to give up any hope of making yourself worthy of citizenship in the kingdom of heaven and to instead just cry out to God in helplessness. God responds to our cries of helplessness like a mother responds to her baby's cries 
of hunger. There is good news for the helpless baby. Mom will feed you. There is good news for the helpless seeker, the helpless wanderer. God will save you. The word gospel simply means good news. And the good news is that what we need, God provides. What we cannot do for ourselves, God does for us. But how? A principle at the very heart of the Christian faith is the principle of substitution. It's all over your Bible. What if, since we can't be and since we can't perfectly do what the Beatitudes demand, what if someone could be them and someone could do them on our behalf? What if someone, someone could perfectly fulfill them and then substitute his success in place of our failure? What if? Well, consider this. Jesus was poor in spirit. He was so humble that even though he was God, he was obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus mourned. He was the man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Jesus was meek. He said he is gentle and lowly in heart. Jesus hungered and thirsted after righteousness to so great a degree. He said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me. He was merciful. He's the one who said, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He was pure in heart. He was holy, innocent, unstained. He was a peacemaker. He was wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. And as for suffering, he was smitten by God and afflicted, pierced for our transgressions and crushed for our iniquities. So you see, if the Beatitudes ought to describe us, they actually describe Jesus. Jesus Christ came to this earth to perfectly exemplify, to perfectly live out these kingdom values. And he did it all on our behalf. He did it so he could do for us what we could not do for ourselves. And because he did that, he received God's blessing He received God's favor. God said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. To be blessed is to have God's approval. You see it all over the Beatitudes, blessed. To be blessed is to have God's approval, is to know the warm smile of God. The ones who repent and believe in the good news, they have the smile of God. They're blessed. They're blessed by God by being given as a gift the favor, the approval That Jesus Christ earned. So when we repent and believe, we're born again to become citizens of his kingdom of heaven. And with our citizenship, we gain all the benefits of what Christ accomplished. All that is his is given to us by that principle of substitution, his poverty of spirit, his sorrow over sin, his meekness, his righteousness, his approval, his favor, his life, even his kingdom and his reign. It's all given to us. It all becomes ours. So my friends, do you see what Jesus Christ has done for us? He has succeeded where we have failed. He fulfilled the law where we violated it. He's pleased God where we displeased God. And if we put our faith in him, all of his goodness is substituted for all of our badness, all his strength for our weakness, his triumph for our condemnation, his victory for our failure. 
So have you repented? Have you believed? Have you been born again to become a citizen of the kingdom of heaven? I'm just going to briefly present to you now with two different visions for humanity, one that's consistent with the kingdom of this world and one that's consistent with the kingdom of heaven. This is wrapping it up, showing it all to you in a picture. Let's imagine now that our billionaire is ready to begin, uh, ready to blast off to begin his kingdom of space. And so he's chosen, brought to himself the cream of the human crop, all of them to accompany him. And now together they're just parading their way to that great ship that will take them off into space where they'll found their new nation. And so, of course, as this parade passes by, at the head of it all is the billionaire himself sitting tall and proud in this open-roofed limousine. As he goes by, the crowds are crying out their praise to this, this champion among men. Behind him come a whole host of winners of the Nobel Prize, each of them holding his little medal. Behind them walk the founders of the world's great corporations. They're carrying huge stacks of their money. Next are kings and queens, rulers of the earth, holding the scepters of their power, and then athletes clutching their trophies, and musicians displaying their awards, and actors holding their their Oscars and Emmys. This is a parade of the powerful and beautiful, of the wealthy and accomplished, of the influential and the formidable. And of course, the crowds stand and applaud as these great people parade by. And soon enough, soon enough, they rise to the stars to found their new nation. But what they don't know is that even this kingdom will come to an end. For even though it may be a kingdom beyond the bounds of this earth, it's still a kingdom within this world. And so their medals and their scepters and their money and their trophies and everything else they cling to, everything else they count as a credential will, will rust and decay and turn to dust. Let's watch a second march Let's watch now as the citizens of the kingdom of heaven pass by. At the head of them all come the humble. The humble, the ones who can barely lift their faces but can say only, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Their hands are empty. Next come people whose eyes are red with mourning their sin and their sinfulness. They too have empty hands. Some of them limp by on crutches. Some of them roll by in wheelchairs. Behind them are the ones who are meek, the ones who have waged a lifelong battle to become holy. Watch now as people pass by who dedicated their lives to extending mercy to to the overlooked and to the marginalized, to people whose, whose hearts and hands have remained unstained. They've remained pure in a world that tempted them so sorely. See the ones who brought peace where there was conflict, the ones who stood strong even when they were hated, even when they were beaten. See as they pass by that there are representatives there from every nation, every tribe and people and tongue. See how they each have empty hands, how each of them wears just a simple white robe unadorned by medals or ribbons or regalia. And last of all, Last of all comes a simple man all alone who looks despised and rejected. He has no form or majesty that we should look at him, no great beauty that we should desire him. He comes in the form of a servant. He's humble, lowly. He's riding on a donkey. 
You look carefully and you'll see that his hands and his feet are, are deeply wounded, that blood is running down his forehead from where thorns have been pressed into it. Listen, and you'll hear the, hear the crowds raise their voices to, to jeer and to hiss and to boo. But look again. Look closer. Look now with eyes that have been born again. Look now with eyes of faith, and you will see that he has been utterly transformed. Look, and you'll see that this lowly servant has become a king, a warrior whose name is faithful and true. See that his lowly colt has become a mighty white horse, that his crown of thorns has become the crown of a king, that those crowds that were booing now fall on their faces before him. And see that as he passes you by, he looks to you, and he opens his mouth, and he says, follow me. And so, my friend, hear and obey. Repent and believe. Be born again and receive your citizenship. Take up your place in his march and follow him into his kingdom of heaven, his kingdom that has now begun, but which will never, ever end. Amen? Let me pray. Father, we thank you that by your Son you invite us into the kingdom of heaven. Father, it's our prayer that there would not be one who leaves here today without taking up your gracious offer of citizenship in the kingdom of heaven. So please, Lord, let each one who can hear these words repent and believe and be born again into this great kingdom. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Amen. And as the band comes, we are going to sing about that kingdom and about its king.